times we as Christians, we wait upon the shelf. We're ashamed to lift our hands in praise. We wait on someone else. But Jesus died at Calvary. God's plan he did fulfill. And that is why I stand today trying to do his will.
Savannah, thank you. I would encourage you again, and I do this uh, quite often, uh, to make Sunday school a part of your weekly routine. It'll help you. And I had a good Sunday school hour this morning. I know Brother Aiden read a lot of scripture out of Daniel 6, and I'm going to read a lot of scripture out of Joshua chapter number 8. But when you think about it, that's what it's about. That's what will help me. That's what will help you. Uh, there's no trickery behind what we're doing. We're just trying to give you scripture. And that's what God deals with, and that's how he works today. And I hope 
that something said or done today will be help and encouragement and a blessing to you out of Joshua chapter number 8. For sake, I'm not going to ask you to stand. Uh, I'm going to read several verses, probably get down to about verse number 22, and I'll come back and give you some background in just a moment. Joshua chapter number 8. Now, uh, by the time we pick up reading in Joshua 8, the children of Israel have crossed over the Jordan River, and they've conquested the land uh, that was promised unto them. And uh, certainly there are several things that happened in chapter 6, chapter 7, and now they're happening in chapter 8 that I'll mention in just a moment. But notice here in verse number 1 of Joshua 8, the Bible said, And the Lord said unto Joshua, Fear not, neither be thou dismayed. Take all the people of war with thee, and arise, go up to Ai. See, I have given into thy hand the king of Ai, and his people, and his city, and his land. Now, chapter 7, basically, if you could put a snapshot of chapter 7, chapter 6, you could say, well, there was an incredible feat when the walls of Jericho came tumbling down. But then chapter number 7, we would call that an inconceivable failure because there was sin in the camp. God withheld his blessing, and the children of Israel went up to Ai, which Jericho, they had seen God work in chapter number 6, man, that incredible feat. But now, an inconceivable fear because Achan had taken that accursed thing, that hidden thing, and hid it into his tent. And as a result, God withheld his blessings, and the people of Israel were whipped by the people of Ai. Then we see, I guess we could call chapter 8, the incognito fighters. Now, all that's I and F, and I don't know if I've ever used that word when preaching incognito. You say, what in the world is that? Well, basically what that means is their true identity was hidden at night. God would lay out an ambush that we're going to read about here in chapter 8, and that's how AI would eventually fall. And as we look at this, God had laid out to Joshua, hey, fear not. He said, I have given in thy hand the king of Ai. Now look at verse 2 of Joshua 8. And thou shalt do to Ai and her king as thou didst unto Jericho and her king. All of the spoil thereof and the cattle thereof shall ye take for a prey unto yourselves. Lay thee an ambush for the city behind it. So Joshua arose and all the people of war to go up to Ai. And Joshua chose out 30,000 mighty men of valor and sent them away by night. And he commanded them, saying, Behold, ye shall lie in wait against the city, even behind the city. Go not very far from the city, but be ye all ready. And I and all the people that are with me will approach unto the city. And it shall come to pass when they come out against us as at the first. Then we will flee before them. Because that's what happened before in chapter number 7. They went, and the men of Israel were smitten, and they fled. So Ai, the men of the city, has already seen that. But notice, Joshua's going to use that as strategy. Look at verse 6. For they, being Ai, will come out after us till we have drawn them from the city. For they will say, they flee before us as at the first. Therefore, we will flee before them. Then you shall rise up from the ambush and seize upon the city. For the Lord your God will deliver it into your hand. And it shall be, when you have taken the city, that... Ye shall set the city on fire, according to the commandment of the Lord, shall ye do. See, I have commanded you. Joshua therefore sent them forth, and they abode to lie in ambush, and abode between Bethel and Ai on the west side of Ai. But Joshua lodged 
that night among the people. Now, read this. I was going to read the verse number 22. We're going to stop right there and we're going to preach. Let's pray. Father, as we bow God in your presence, Lord, this morning, we sure do love you. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity just to assemble in your house. Thank you, Lord, through the blood. And it's by the blood, always will be the blood. God, thank you for the sacrifice that was made that forgave my sin, forgave others. Thank you that heaven's a prepared place for prepared people. And Lord, we thank you for the word of God. And Lord, I ask God that you would add a blessing to the reading of it right now. Lord, touch every heart. If there's one listening, that's lost. God, would you save them? Help this feeble preacher now to decrease. Lord, I confess that you're everything. Lord, I'm nothing. Meet every need now, and we'll give you thanks for we ask it all in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Well, we've read these few verses here in Joshua chapter number 8 about uh, basically what's taking place in the city of Ai as the people of God have come up. And there are several things I want to mention, and probably the introduction will be longer, I guess, than the message itself. But basically, I'm going to cover these first nine verses, and I encourage you to go back and to read later on, read the whole chapter, and I believe it'll help you uh, in your walk with the Lord. But I think about this. When we look at the failure that took place in Joshua chapter number 7, God has basically redeemed the people. Sin has been purged, Brother Ed. Sin has been ta- the sin of chapter 7 has been purged. It's been taken care of. And now God can bless. So we see the failure in chapter number 7, but we see the second chance, if you will, in chapter number 8. Now, how many of us, uh, since we've been saved have been perfect. You better not raise your hand because none of us are. There's only been one that was perfect. His name was the Lord Jesus Christ. We stumble. We make mistakes. But ain't it good to know that when we stumble, and that's not a license to stumble, but when we do, I'm glad that God can still use us. And God can still use you. And there's an important fact that you can draw out of Joshua chapter number 8. Although Israel fell to the hands of Ai in chapter number 7 because of sin, that sin was took care of. They got right with God, and God gave them a great victory in chapter number 8. I'm glad God is the God of the second chance, the third chance, and the fourth chance. Thank God, regardless of the mistake you've made and the failures in your life, hey, sometimes you just got to strap on your boot. You got to put on your bootstraps and shake the dust off of you and go on for God. You can't change the past. You can't change yesterday. You can't change prayer to right now this morning, but I'm glad as you move forward, I'm glad you can make a commitment under the law. Lord, and just as God used Israel in Joshua chapter number 8, a people that had failed miserably in chapter number 7, he can use you and I as well. Matter of fact, in the secular world, we think about a man by the name of Henry Ford. Henry Ford, the first two times that he went out in a venture to, to make automobiles, he fell flat on his face. Everybody encouraged him to quit. He couldn't find any financial backing, but finally, or any backing, uh, any help, but finally, the third time was a charm. And listen to how he defined a mistake. Do you know how Henry Ford described and defined a mistake? This is what he said. An opportunity to begin again more intelligently. Now think about that. A mistake or a failure? How, how, how can we define that? That's an opportunity, according to Henry Ford. I know that's not biblical, but it's a good point. An opportunity to begin again more intelligently. Here the people of God in Joshua chapter 8, they, they had another, although they had failed in chapter 7, they had an opportunity to move forward. And that's what they did by the grace 
of God. And God gave them a great victory. We could say this, that Joshua and Israel's second chance came after the failure to dispatch Ai in the first time. One defeat or failure does not signal the end of a believer's usefulness for God. What I've pretty much labored for the last two minutes all, God wants to use us in spite of our past, in spite of our failures, in spite of our hang-ups, in spite of our mistakes and all of our problems. Thank God he you say, well, now, wait a minute, preacher. Does God use imperfect people? Are you kidding me? That's all he's got to work with. <laughs> Y'all ain't dead this morning, are you? I mean, Lord, I ain't negative. I'm trying to be positive. Y'all dead as a stick. When it comes to the usefulness of God, God wants to use all of us. Can I get a witness? Amen. And when you think about this in this text in Joshua chapter number 8, the people of God are being used. Sin has been dealt with. Again, I hit that. It's been purged. And now the light of God's face begins to shine on his people because the sin has got out of the camp. Now, can I just run this little rabbit right here? Did you know that your or my personal sin can hinder what God does in this place? You better believe that. Because that's a fact. And until God purges that sin and deals with that sin, he can't move like he'd like. His, his face wouldn't shine like it possibly can until that sin, because see, that sin separates God and people. You're saying, well, wait a minute, Joshua didn't sin, Achan sin. Yeah, but Joshua was, I mean, he felt the effects of it. Amen. You know, it don't take but one church member to hinder revival. Amen. Don't take but one to hinder a service. Just one. Now imagine if you got two or three or four or five that are out of the will of God. And God wants to move, but he can't move until that sin is dealt with and purged. And that certainly took took place in chapter number 7. And now we see chapter number 8. And I'm still on introduction here, but there's three things that Joshua had. Now, I got one verse I really, I'm dying to get to, but it's going to take me a minute to get there. But there's three things that Joshua had. He had a provider. He had a promise. And we understand that. But he had a plan. Notice with me in verse number 1. We're going to read it again. And the Lord said unto Joshua. Now understand who's speaking. The Lord is speaking unto Joshua, which is a captain of the Lord's armies. He's the leader of Israel. It's the people of God who came in and they've conquested the land. They've come over Jordan. That first stop was a great victory in Jericho, but they've took tail and run and, and they counted their losses in Ai in chapter number 7. And now God is speaking unto Joshua. He said, fear not. And boy, that's there's a great study that you could go back and, and you could just look at the fear nots that are in the Bible. There's a lot of them, especially in the Gospel of Luke and the New Testament, but there's a bunch in the Old Testament of Genesis and numerous places where God says fear not. Now why does he say it so many times? Because he knew our tendencies. He knew that our shortcomings would be to fear about things. And I'll remind you again, 2 Timothy chapter number 1, and verse number 7, for God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Hey, fear comes for the enemy. And God tells Joshua, fear not. I'm glad we've got one in our corner. Again, that's never lost a battle, never lost a case, never lost a sheep. He's the one that's got the authority. And when he tells us not to fear, we ought not fear. Amen. Now, just probably before this service is over, before this day's out, some of us are going to be afraid of something. 
It's just the way it is. I'm the same way. I'm no different than you are. We're all made out of the same stuff. But God tells Joshua, fear not. He goes on to say, neither be thou dismayed. Take all the people of war with thee and arise and go up to Ai. See, I have given into thy hand the king of Ai and his people and his city and his land. You see, Joshua had a provider. Who is that provider? It's none other than the Lord. We just introduced to him there in verse number 1. And the Lord said unto Joshua, Fear not, I have given the king of Ai into thy hand. Joshua had a provider. Now, some of them might say, no, wait a minute, preacher, time out now. That's been many, many years ago. That's Old Testament. Hey, that's the same God I serve. <laughs> He's still the same provider for me as he was for Joshua. Same provider for me that he is for you. And he will provide that need. I like what the psalmist said in Psalm 73. In verse number 26, my flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. You know what a portion is? That's a source of security. The psalmist said, Lord, you are my portion. You're my source of security. And here he's the one. The the Lord is the one that is guiding, providing everything that Joshua, the captain of the Lord's host, the leader of Israel, God's given him everything that he needs. The psalmist also said, Psalm 119 verse 57, thou art my portion Oh, Lord, I'm glad the one who made it all, sustained it all, and will end it all one day is my provider. That's who is working on behalf of Joshua and the people of God. Don't ever miss that. He's a provider. But not only did Joshua have a provider, he had a promise. We just read that again in verse 1. I have given, now this is God talking unto Joshua. I have given into thine hand, thy hand, the king of Ai. That's a promise that God made. Do you know God always keeps his promises? We don't always keep our promises. And we, there's things that we may, we may aspire or strive to do. There may be some things beyond our control that keep us from fulfilling our promises. I'm glad that's not so with the Lord. You think about him, Joshua, here in chapter number 8, as he's getting ready to go in, he, he's not walking aimlessly. I mean, he's not just shooting in the dark. God is telling him. He, he's his provider. He said, listen, Joshua, I have given into your hand the king of Ai. In other words, God had made Joshua a promise long before the battle ever started. That was a promise that he made. It reminds me of this. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 4. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. D.L. Moody said this one time. D.L. Moody said God never made a promise that was too good to be true. But every promise must be claimed by faith. God gives us a lot of promises that we, don't, we never see come to pass because we never do our part. Now, God does his part. He makes a promise. And sometimes there's conditional promises that he makes in the Word of God. But we fall short on our end because we don't have faith. Too many times we're mixed with unbelief. You better remember Matthew 13, verse number 58, in reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. 
God wanted to do much more in that town, but he couldn't because of unbelief. Unbelief is what will sever the ties of the promises of God. God wants to bless me. God wants to bless you. Now, that don't mean we ain't going to encounter some things in life. You're going to face discouragement. You're going to face disappointment. You're going to face some problems along the way. Hey, just go ahead and mark her down. I believe it's in Job 14, one man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. Trouble is on the trail of the righteous and also the unrighteous. Uh, Trouble's on the trail of the just and the unjust. But just understand this. We restrict the hand of God sometimes. He promises, but we just don't believe Him. I think about Hebrews chapter number 4. God had promised believers rest in in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 1 as He does you and I. But some failed to experience that rest due to unbelief. For the Bible said in Hebrews 4 and verse number 2, For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them whose them. That's the crowd that chose not to believe. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. Did you hear that? Being mixed with faith. That's the important thing. See, Joshua, as he gets ready, the battle hadn't even started yet. But the provider has spoke to him. And by the way, I'm glad God will speak to us. Now, I wouldn't put a lot of confidence and a lot of stock in dreams. I know there's some that beg to disagree, but listen, I'm telling you what dreams will get you. Dreams will get you a David Koresh and a Jim Jones. You better trust the Word of God. Them dreams will let you down, but the Spirit of God and the sword of the Word of God, which is a Scripture, thank God it'll never be contrary one to the other, and they'll lead you in the path in which you should go. But I'm glad God will still speak to you through His Word. Now, God's promises are contained in His Word, and I can't overemphasize this. I mean, I'm pro-Bible. That's really all I have to share with you. But we need the Word of God so much in Ephesians 6, New Testament economy, in the day and hour of the age of grace in which we live. He talks about the whole armor of God. But that, that greatest offensive weapon that we have is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. For in Ephesians chapter 6, and verse number 17, the Bible said, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now think about this for a moment. In the secular world, let's say somebody's getting ready to go off to war. Let's say it's a, a Marine or, or somebody in the Army or Navy or, or what have you. They're getting ready to go into battle. How many generals, Brother Harold, would say, All right, boys, now, we got guns, but we're not going to let you have none. We're not going to really tell you what's going to take place. You, you just go on and find out for yourself. You wouldn't send a soldier unarmed and unprepared into battle, now, would you? We wouldn't do that. But you know what will happen when we get out of the Word of God and get away from the Word of God? We're unarmed and we're unprepared in a world that is full of battles. But Joshua, he's got a promise. He's got a provider, but he's got a plan. Now I'm moving because I still got to get to the verse that the Lord laid on my heart. The Lord gave him a plan. Now, when you think about Jericho, chapter number 6... It's pretty simple. There was a week of marches in the daylight. We understand that, that God's army was united as they circled around the walls. You see in Joshua chapter number 6, the walls fell down flat. You will not see that in Joshua chapter number 8. Quite the opposite. You say, what are you talking about, preacher? Well, think about this. AI involved a covert night operation that prepared for a daylight 
attack as you continue reading. The army was split up. There was 30,000 in one place. There's 5,000 in the other. And Joshua led the other crowd from the north side. As you read your Bible and you, you go on, you'll see that. The army was split up and the walls didn't fall down. As a matter of fact, they were burnt. They were burnt. There's a great difference. Now, what, what's that got to do with anything, preacher? Well, you better get this right here. God is the source of our victory. He may give us a victory in a certain way yesterday. God can still give us victory today, but it might be through different means. Does that make sense? Now, God worked in Joshua's six in a miraculous way. They were, and basically, they were following what God told them to do, and they're following what God told them to do here. But they had a plan, and they had a strategy, and God still honors obedience unto his word. But God gave them victory a different way in chapter number 6 than he's getting ready to in Joshua chapter number 8. Now, basically, the summary of the battle, without reading the text, and you can go back and look at it, Joshua and Israel basically marched about 15 miles because they were in Gilgal, and they're heading to Ai. 30,000 were to lay in ambush to the west according to the word of God. 5,000 were to be between Ai and Bethel. Now that was about two miles away. Somebody might say, well, now why, why did God put those 5,000 over between Ai and, and Bethel? Because Bethel were neighbors and friends of Ai, and they knew that they would come when they heard that, that Ai was attacked, they would come to give aid unto those neighbors. So those 5,000 would take care of the crowd from Bethel. And you read on a little bit later, Bethel and Ai, both of those towns were emptied out. They come out to help one another, and all of them were destroyed. But Joshua and the men that were with him... He came in from the north, and what they did they, as they approached, they approached the walls that day. Ai seen what was taking place, and Joshua and his men took tail and run. Now, that's what took place in chapter number 7, and they got chased away. So the king of Ai sent everybody out of the city to go after him, but he didn't see. He didn't see the 30,000 that were laying in wait. As Joshua would hold up that spear, God said, you hold up that spear. And when he did, that was a summons to the crowd to go in and to take the city and to burn it with fire. Now the men of Ai have been pulled away from the city. And, and now Joshua and the people of God turn there and, and they, they begin to engage Ai. And a great slaughter takes place. And men of Ai look back they see the smoke of their city coming up. That's the last thing they saw before they were killed and were destroyed. But understand God had laid out a plan. Now, preacher, what's, what's the whole point of the plan that was laid out? Well, the work of the Lord requires strategy. Everybody stay with me now. You know, the church is not a business, but you basically have to operate it as a business. So there's those that would agree, disagree with that, but it really don't matter. The work of the Lord is a strategy. You don't get from point A to point B without some planning and some strategy along the way. You have gains. You have losses. You have gains. You have losses. Sometimes you have a little trouble. Sometimes you have a little discouragement, a little disappointment. But you stay the course with strategy and a plan. It's been a, a, a well-spoken thing of mine. For, and it works in spiritual realm and also in the secular realm. A failure to plan is a plan to fail. Now, if you don't believe it in a business, if you don't plan ahead, you're going to fail. 
In the ministry, if you don't do some planning and some strategy ahead, you will fail. You say, well, wait a minute, preacher. We believe in the imminent return of Christ. That's exactly right. It could be today. It could be 100 more years. But listen, we got to make plans and preparations for the future just in case the Lord tarries his return because it takes planning and it takes strategy. Amen. Just fly by the seat of your pants, man. You get in trouble spiritually and Secular. So there was a plan. Now, so Joshua had three things. And all that's introduction. He had a provider. He had a promise. And he had a plan. Now, all of us, I believe we can apply some of those things to our heart and life as well. But I want you to notice something here. Joshua chapter 8, the last verse that I read was verse number 9. God showed me this the other day. I was going back cross-referencing some things with a study of the life of David. Lord willing, we'll be back there tonight. But notice verse number 9. Joshua therefore sent them forth, and they went to lie in ambush, and abode between Ethel and Ai on the west side of Ai. But Joshua lodged that night among the people. So basically what, what, what's happening is that the Ai and all the inhabitants came out. Joshua lifts up that, that, that sword, and, and now the battle is taking place. The battle didn't take place in Ai. And it didn't take place in Bethel. If you with me, say amen. amen. The Bible said in verse number 9, And they abode, that's the army, abode between Bethel and Ai. Now here's the message, don't miss it. You see, Brother Ed, the battle was not in a place called Ai. Amen. You go back to the original, you know what Ai means? It means a heap of Ruins. Now, I get that. I'm going to say that a bunch here in just a minute. But Ai means a heap of ruins. Now, Bethel, Beth meaning house, El meaning God, means the house of God. So, Bethel, its word means the house of God. Ai means a heap of ruins. The battle wasn't in a heap of ruins. The battle wasn't at the house of God. It was somewhere in between. Now, there's a message in that, and that's what I want to preach on for just a minute. The battle between Bethel and Ai, or in other words, a battle between the house of God and the heap of ruins. Out of everybody that's in here, we're on one of those two roads. You're heading to the heap of ruins or, or the house of God. One, and, the, and the battle is right smack dab in the middle. That's where you and I live. And the battle does rage on. Oh, yes. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. You might be doing good today. Honey, you better just hang on and put on your spiritual seat buckles. Because, honey, there's a battle on the horizon if you live long enough. Now, there's two destinations. We know that. Jesus, multiple times. Matthew chapter number 7. That is the chapter of twos. There's two gates, two foundations. We see that. Uh, two storm, we see those storms coming in Matthew 7. But in verse number 13 and 14 uh, of Matthew 7, Jesus said, enter you into the straight gate, 
For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in there, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Now, the Bible is correct whether we agree it or not. Some folks say, well, uh, you know, I, I believe the you know, Bible says this, but I believe this. No, listen, if the Bible says, a lot of folks have made this statement, well, the Bible said it, I believe it, that settles it. Well, listen, it don't matter if you believe it or not. If the Bible says it, that settles it. There's two roads. And that broad road that Jesus said many were heading on are heading to the heap of ruins. Because there's a literal burning hell that will eventually be turned into the lake of fire for those who reject the free part and forgiveness of sin. That's only found in the Lord Jesus Christ. They're heading on that broad road many to the heap of ruins. But then there's a crew on that narrow path. The Bible said there was few. They're heading that way and we're going as Abraham was. To a city whose builder and maker is God. A place not made with hands. A place that Jesus said in John 14 and verse number 1. He said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Who's that you? That's that crowd that has chosen the straight and narrow way. But the battle is between Bethel. In Ai, between the house of God and the heap of ruins, we're in one of those two places. Now, there's three things I want to share with you about the battle between the house of God, or Bethel, and Ai, the heap of ruins. Did you know there's three things that you better get? Three things concerning this battle uh, here that took place in Joshua chapter number 8, but by application, can I say this battle is a well-beaten path. Now, let me explain what I'm saying by that. Well-beaten path in this sense, to be saved, it's a personal decision. You have to make that choice. Just the same as to reject the Lord Jesus Christ. But those that have never been saved, you are on that road that is heading to the heap of ruins. And it is a well-beaten path. Now, much the same way, that individual that is saved... By the grace of God, you have chosen to trust Christ. You've chosen to live your life for the cause of Christ. And that, too, is a well-beaten path. Now, just this time of year, so you can understand what I'm saying, the weeds, I mean, you know, you got ragweed, and you got all kinds of weeds growing up, and some of that stuff is head high. And what will happen is, especially in soybean, you got a soybean field, and if you drive by, Brother Adrian, you know what I'm talking about. You look on the corner of the field, and you see sort of a half moon. Out there that's been eat up at the soybeans. Well, you know what's going on. It's a groundhog that's been out there. Man, we went to, we went to uh, Kentucky one time, Dad and I, and this guy from Boston. He's from Boston. He said, you guys got any woodchucks down there? I said, woodchucks? Yeah, I got any woodchucks wood down there. That's the way he talks, you know, up north. I said, no, we got some groundhogs. But, you know, they said hog. You know, they just talk different. I don't know how we got off on all that. But a woodchuck and a, and a groundhog basically the same thing, but I don't call them woodchucks. I, I call it a groundhog. And you go out and the weeds are tall, and you say, well, man, where's that groundhog at? You ain't got to look far. There's going to be a path. I mean, the weeds are up. You can't see the hole where he's at because all the weeds. But if you look real, real close, there's going to be a well-beaten path that leads directly to his hole. Why? Because he's had continual travel. 
going this direction and that direction, this direction and that. Can I just tell you this? There'll be a pattern in our life. That's where I'm going with this. A well-beaten path. If you're on your way to the heap of ruins, all you got to do is just look at the, the path that you travel continually. If you're heading to a place called heaven, I believe there'll be a well-beaten path. Amen. And listen, we ain't saved by good works, but we're saved unto good works. As a matter of fact, James said, faith without works is dead. That will be a pattern of our life. And listen, the Bible said, Jesus said, a man will be known by his fruits. What kind of fruits have I got? Well, it depends on that well-beaten path that you're traveling on. The battle between Bethel, between Ai, between the house of God, and, and the heap of ruins, there'll be a well-beaten path that'll sort of explain which way we're heading. <laughs> now, what you do with Jesus, that's up to you. Some might say, well, preach all up, I'm saved or I'm lost. That's, that's up to you. But I know this, I'll tell you what the Bible said. you you got to call on the name of the Lord. But you got to understand this, too. The Bible said, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Amen. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I can tell you this, it'll still take the bottle out of the alcoholic's hand. That man, it'll still take the needle out of that old drug addict. It'll still take, it'll take the sourness out of that old sour puss and put some sweetness down in the gable end of your soul when you get yoked up by faith to the King of kings and the Lord of all. I'm telling you, he'll make a difference in your life. You won't be perfect. Will you stumble? Will you fail? Absolutely. If you live long enough, that's exactly right. And that's what will take place. But thank God, you can be forgiven and God can use you. But the battle between the house of God and and the heap of ruins will be a well-beaten path to explain which way we're heading. Not only will it be a well-beaten path, but it'll be a well-beloved place. So what do you mean a well-beloved place? I'm talking about that battle between the house of God and the heap of ruins. You know why people don't get saved? A lot of folks have tried to say, well, yeah, you know, people would get saved, but they, they look at somebody's life, and they see all them hypocrites. And, and that, that may be partially true, but that don't wash real well. The bottom line, when you get down to the core of the issue, why, why do people don't live for God, why do people don't get saved, is summed up in the words of Jesus in John chapter number 3 and verse number 19. This is what he said, and this is a condemnation. That light is coming to the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. <laughs> Why won't people come to Christ? Because they love their sin. Amen. You see, in the battlefield, you got the house of God, you got the heap of ruins. Why do people not come to God? Because they love their sin. They, it's a well-beaten well path. They've been traveling it so long. But it's a well-beloved place. They love their sin. <laughs> what about the child of God? Well, it's a well-beloved place as well. What do you mean? Well, the psalmist said this. Psalm 122 and verse number 1. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. You see, you got that well-beaten path 
back to the house of God. You got this over here, well-beaten path to the house of ruins. Yes, yeah, a well-beaten path. It's a well-beloved place because they had never experienced the freedom that we have in Christ. They've been shackled. They've never experienced the deliverance that we can have through Christ, but they're due to a devil's hell that was prepared for the devil and his angels according to Matthew 25 and verse number 41. But oh, if you'll ever taste the Lord, you'll have to agree and you'll have to stand and testify that oh yes, the Lord is good. It is a well beloved place. Thank God for the house of God. I know there's times when we get hindered. There's times when we can't come. I get it. I know vacations come. I know sickness comes for the most part. But boy, you ought to strive to get to the house of God. And we all not have to beg. Somebody said, oh, I gotta go to church. No, you ain't gotta go to church. You get to go to church. You say, well, I gotta sing. No, you ain't gotta sing. You get to sing. Well, I gotta serve. No, you get to serve. And when you get yoked up and you experience the forgiveness of God and the love that he pours out on you you can't help but come and say man I was glad when they said I could come to the house of God now I may get a little excited right here and that's all right. you don't know where God brought me from but I do I know God forgave me I know he washed me I know he cleansed me I know he's prepared a place for me and if you've never experienced that man you're on your way to a house of ruin this is a well-beaten path, well-beloved place. But can I say this? It's a well-blinded possession. You say, what do you mean a well-blinded possession? You got, basically, you got two roads. In the middle there, you got Bethel. You got Ai, a well-beaten path on both sides because it's been traveled a lot. Well-beloved place, some love the house of God, some love the heap of ruins in their lifestyle. But it's a well-blinded possession for both. You see, today lost people really, they've been blinded, Brother Harold, to the fact of what waits ahead. Because if lost people really understood, and and if you could just pull back the covers or or the heart of the earth and just see in hell today, that'd be all it takes. Well, listen, God gives us a description of that in Luke 16. That rich man being tormented in that flame, begging for one drop of water to be put on his tongue. He never, he, he probably heard, somebody probably told him about God, somebody probably told him he could be forgiven of his sins, but he chose to walk down that well-beaten path. Why? Because it was a well-beloved place. They loved his sin. He loved those, how his flesh fit. He loved those sensual desires, and he gave in to those lusts. He done all that stuff, and finally, he closed his eyes in death, and hell became a reality. But during his lifetime, it was a well-blinded possession. You know what you got to look forward to apart from Christ? And listen, I, I'm not being ugly. I'm not being mean. You've got a real hell to look to. That's what you that's what you that's your possession by simply rejecting Christ. Amen. Now, right now you're blinded. Listen, God doesn't or the devil doesn't blind your eyes. The Bible tells us what he blinds. 2 Corinthians 4 says, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid unto them that are lost, and whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Why does why does the devil blind our Minds, because he don't want you to see the end result. You see, it's a blinded possession to that crowd that's that's got a well-beaten path. 
They living in sin. They love sin. It's a well-beloved place, but it's a well-blinded possession. Because I don't know many, even atheists, they say, well, there ain't no such thing as God. There's no atheist in hell. You say, what do you mean, preacher? There ain't no atheist in hell. Well, an atheist don't believe there's a God. When they get down there, they're going, all that, that unbelief's gone. But it's too late. There's no purgatory. There's no second. Folks, listen. We get one shot at this thing called life. One shot. That's it. That's it. And I don't know which road you're traveling on, but if you're heading down that broad road that leads to destruction, you've been blinded. You say, oh, preacher, I'm having a time of my life. I'm drinking. I, I'm cussing. I'm doing my own thing. I, I'm a womanizer or whatever. You're doing this, that, and the other. There's a payday coming. Amen. And right now you're blinded. But friend, if you're lost in sin, boy, today is the day of salvation. But what about the child of God? Did you know even for you and I, it's a well it's a well-blinded possession. See, we, we read the scripture about what awaits, but really, we, we, you can't even imagine what God has waiting for the child of God. Hey, man, listen to this. 1 Corinthians chapter number 2 and verse number 9. The Apostle Paul said under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, But as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard. Neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Now this is coming from a man that was called up into the third heaven. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 4. How that he, and that was Paul himself, was called up into paradise and heard unspeakable words which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Now we read in the scripture, you read in the book of Revelation about some descriptions of being in the presence of God. We know 2 Corinthians 5, verse number 8. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. That's enough for me. But man, we won't fully realize what's waiting on the other side till we get there. Amen. 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 9 puts it this way. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come then that which is in part shall be done away. And I believe that's speaking about the coming of Christ. Now listen to verse number 11. There's a lot of people that if you, if you could memorize one verse and apply it to your life, this is the verse that a lot of people need. And I'm talking to believers too, by the way. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 11. When I was a child, I spake as a child. <laughs> I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. A lot of folks need to put away some childish things. Amen. But the Lord said there, we know in part right now, but then he goes on to say in verse 12, For now we see through a glass darkly. Oh, if you look through a dark glass, you really, it's not real clear. But he said, now we see through a glass darkly. But then, face to face, now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. You see, to the child of God today, say, preacher, what, what's the benefits of me giving my heart and life to Jesus? Well, heaven's going to be your home one day. You can be forgiven of sin. You can cast your care upon him because he cares for you. Will your problems go away? No, not necessarily, but understand this. We're somewhere, everyone listening to me right now, we're somewhere in this battle. This battle between Bethel Again, Bethel, Beth being house, El being God, the house of God, Ai, heap of ruin. We're somewhere in between that, and that battle's going on in Joshua's day. 
It's a well-beaten path to that crowd that's on their way to hell. You, you keep going to the hell holes of the world because it's a well-beaten path. But for the child of God, man, you, you, you make the things of God a priority in your life. It's a well-beaten path. It's a well-beloved place. Amen. It's not a drudgery to be around God's people or God's house. It shouldn't be. <laughs> Amen. Same thing for the lost man. Why don't he get saved? Because he loves his sin. But it all comes down to this. It's a well-blinded possession. Because see, if lost people really, really gripped and understood Man, you know, if I don't get saved, if I don't ask Jesus to save me, I'm going to die in my sin, and I'm going to hell, and I'm never going to get out. I'm going to eventually be cast into the lake of fire, and it's a real thing. Sister Savannah's coming. But for the child of God, I don't think we really grasp it either, Brother Randy. We close our eyes in death over here. We sure don't, we sure don't gain the inheritance of heaven because of our good deeds. Or our good works or our good efforts. Man, it's by grace. God's unmerited favor. That's how much he loves us. And God don't want anybody to die lost in their sin. But at the end of the day, it was my choice as a 13-year-old boy to say yes to Jesus. The fact is, today is your choice. You can say yes to Jesus or you can say no to Jesus. But the battle, the battle right now is between the house of God and the heap of ruins. Which path are you going to take? You better choose the right path. And man, when you choose the right path, which is Jesus, the benefits are literally out of this world. But you got to call on Him today as we stand all over the house. Let's pray. Father, now I love you. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity, Lord, to preach your word. Lord, I've done my very best. Preach the message of the hour. I pray for that one that may be teetering. God, someone here today maybe never been forgiven of sin. God, they've been blinded. Maybe their life is continually just filled with sin and unrighteousness and wickedness. Lord, I'm glad you can forgive that stuff today, but it's a choice. Lord, we can't go back and change yesterday, but Lord, we sure can make a change today. God, I ask, Lord, in Jesus' name, if there's one loss, God, that you'd save them. I pray for that child of God that may just be discouraged. Lord, maybe they needed that promise that Joshua had. God, help us to plan accordingly as he did. God, I'm glad we've got a provider in you. Lord, help us to make the right choice as this battle rages on. There's a lot of our folks, no doubt today, Lord, that are battling some things. There's some battles in their life. They don't know what lies on the horizon. Lord, some of them are afraid. Lord, you told Joshua to fear not. and Lord, you tell your people to fear not. I pray that you do a work. May God save that sinner today. Somebody probably right now, Lord, is thinking, man, I need to go, but I'm afraid. God, help them to fear not. Trust Christ today. Get their sins forgiven. I beg in Jesus' name. Amen. Heads are bowed. Hello, friends. This is Brian Poindexter, the pastor of Faith Community Baptist Church, located at 2216 Hennings Road in East Bend, North Carolina. We're so grateful to have you listening to our CD ministry that's been provided as an outreach of our church. It's our desire and focus at Faith Community Baptist Church to preach and teach the whole counsel of God to a lost and dying world, to equip the saints of God for service, and to encourage the elderly and shut-ins who cannot attend services due to physical ailments. We meet every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for Sunday school 
for all ages. And our Sunday school hour is followed by our worship service at 11 a.m. with old-fashioned singing and preaching from the Word of God. We meet back every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our worship service. And every second Sunday night of each month, we have what's called an eat and meet service. After our 6 p.m. service, we gather in the fellowship hall for food and fellowship. On Wednesdays, we meet back at the church for our midweek worship service with choir singing and preaching again from God's holy word. Our ladies prepare a meal each Wednesday prior to our service from 5.30 p.m. to 6.30 p.m. I give you and your family a cordial invitation to be with us at any or all of our service times. Above all, you may be listening today, and maybe you've never made a personal commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Friend, that's the greatest decision anyone can ever make in this life. Too many folks prepare for vacation. They prepare for retirement. They seem to prepare for everything, but sad to say, many make no preparations for eternity. The reality is very clear. We all will leave this world someday. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27, and as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. You must understand that you are guilty before a holy God. Romans 3.23 said, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The prophet Isaiah said in chapter 53 and verse 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. You must understand that your good words, good works and good deeds will not get you to heaven. Isaiah 64 and verse 6 says, But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. Ephesians chapter 2, the Bible said, Therefore by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. You must understand that you are loved. I'm thankful that in John 3 and verse 16 it said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 5 and verse 8 declares, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You must understand and realize there's only one way to stand right before God. There's not many ways, there's only one. Jesus said in John 14 and verse number 6, He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, the apostles' message was very simple. There in Acts chapter 4 and verse number 12, they said, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. You might ask the question, Preacher, how can I be saved? That's what the Philippian jailer asked in Acts chapter 16, verse 30 and 31. He asked Paul and Silas, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. Romans 10, 9 said that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You must ask God to save you. I can't do it. No one can do it for you. Romans 10, 13 said, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you know you're a sinner, and if you're sorry for your sin, and you believe Jesus died for your sins, you simply have to ask Him to save you. You might say, Preacher, how can I know for sure God will hear me? Well, first of all, the Bible tells us that we must be drawn. John 6 and verse 44, Jesus said, No man can come to me except the Father which had sent me. Draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Psalm 51 and verse 17 gives us the attitude we need to have when we come to God. 
It said there, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. Oh God, thou wilt not despise. If God draws you by conviction, if you're sorry for your sin, you repent of them. If you believe Jesus died for your sins, and if you asked him to save you, then the Bible declares you've been saved. If you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you've been forgiven of all your sins. Romans 8, 1 declares, There is therefore now no condemnation of them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Once a person has been saved, they need to be a part of a fundamental Bible-believing church where they can grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. God calls us out of darkness and commands us to walk in light after we've been saved by His marvelous grace. If we can help you here at Faith Community Baptist Church in any way, feel free to contact us. If you have asked God to save you, please contact us and we will send you some free literature to help you in your newfound life in Christ. Thank you again for listening to our CD ministry that's been provided by our church here. And may God richly bless you and your family is our prayer.